0: scripture this morning begins with, just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. In some congregations, I might throw in a lawyer joke here, but I know this congregation way too well. There are lawyers everywhere I turn. But the lawyer, a symbol of the, the intelligent, the elite, the knowledgeable, said to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? You see, his eyes were already on the prize, so to speak. And Jesus said to him, Well, you've read, you know, what's written in the law? What do you find? And the man says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. See, elsewhere in the Bible, we'll find love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, heart, soul, and strength. But this is the only place where there's actually all four together. And then just for good measure, even throws in, love the neighbor as yourself. This passage in Luke is the only place where we find all of those just lumped up right together. And Jesus said to him, you've given the right answer. You know what to do. So just do that, and you'll live. It kind of catches me that the end that's thrown in, the and your neighbor as yourself, Because thematically, that doesn't quite fit with everything else. Everything else is different ways to love God. But we throw in, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is a neighbor? Have you ever sat down and thought, what is a neighbor? What does that mean? I was wondering, so I checked out some sources. From Merriam-Webster, a neighbor is one living or located near another. Canada is a neighbor of the United States. I don't think that's what it's talking about, do you? (laughs) So I went to dictionary.com, because I can just type in dictionary and hit enter, and there I am. Neighbor, a person who lives near another. Well, the Samaritan didn't live by later in the passage, so no, that's not it. Macmillan Dictionary, someone who lives near you. Well, that narrows it down even more, doesn't it? So they're all wrong. None of them worked for me. So whenever the dictionary doesn't help, I go to a thesaurus and look at synonyms. Synonyms for neighbor. This is a good one. Are you ready? Acquaintance. Bystander. Bystander? That's the problem in the passage. Friend. That's better. Home buddy. Is a neighbor something that never leaves their house? I'm not sure where we're going with that one. Nearby resident. Yeah, nothing's more personal than a nearby resident, right? (laughs) And then finally, next door neighbor. How is next door neighbor a synonym for neighbor? You can't use the same word twice, right? So these are all wrong. I didn't like any of these either. So who are your neighbors? If I came up to you, out of the blue and said, who are your neighbors? What would you say? What would be the first thought that popped into your head? It might be your next door neighbor, maybe now, maybe whenever you were growing up. When I think of my neighbors, I think back to where I grew up and the neighbors that lived around me there. I think of my neighbor Jacob that I used to play with when I was five to ten years old or so. That's what I think of. Now, when I was in elementary school, for the love your neighbor as yourself or treat your neighbor well, one of my friends told me, and he promised by it, that that passage is referring to anyone that lives in your neighborhood. Because people in your neighborhood are your neighbors. And that's all you have to love. Just the people that live there. They move out? Eh, who cares? (laughs) But I don't think Jesus lived in the cul-de-sac, do you? So what does neighbor really mean? The lawyer was wondering this in the second part of the passage, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, as Jesus often does in parable form. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell in the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You don't get much more down your luck than that. You have nothing. You don't even have your clothes. Certainly no money, nothing to trade or barter. You've no friends, no family there. You're all alone, by yourself, half dead. In my mind, he's unconscious. That's where the person's left. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest. Now, if the man was still alive, if the priest saw the man and thought, oh, that guy's still alive, he's hanging on, then he has a duty to stop and help, right? Serve the poor, those that don't have enough, those that can't take care of themselves, there's some sort of duty there. Now, if the priest walked by and saw that the man was dead, then he, the priest still has a duty to do the burial rites and to take care of the body. Either way, the priest should be on the hook for something. But the priest keeps walking. So, likewise, a Levite. A Levite's a good guy, an upstanding citizen. This person would know the law, would know the rules, would know what he should do in the situation, but doesn't do anything. Keeps on walking by. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when the Samaritan saw him, he was moved with pity. Now a Samaritan is the absolute, the other. The people we don't talk about on the other side of town. They don't, he doesn't know the law. He's not holy. He doesn't obey the Sabbath. He, he's not like us. That's the thought from the audience. But the Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. This wasn't a quick, slap a band-aid on it, you're good to go. This was time spent with tenderness, with care. And it wasn't cheap. He's not going to be carrying around tons and tons of oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own animal. So that means he's probably walking now, right? Brought him to an inn and took care of him. They didn't just drop him off, but stayed there and took care of him. Then the next day, he took a two denarii. I'm assuming he had some place he had to go. Gave him to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. It wasn't a, not my problem anymore, I did my duty. Gave him to take care of him and he says, hey, I'm going to come back. and I'll cover whatever more it takes. Jesus then asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. The one who showed him mercy. See, I spoke a little bit earlier about what the Samaritan is the other, the people we don't want to talk about. For the lawyer, the thought that the Samaritan would help out while the priest and the Levite wouldn't was so abhorrent, so horrible, so unthinkable that he didn't even say the Samaritan. He said, oh, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the words. That's kind of the context of what we're dealing with here. And I racked my brain for a long time trying to think of what's, what's a current day example. And I couldn't quite get to one, but I'll tell you the closest I got. There's a person on the side of the road that's been attacked, robbed, left for dead. We'll say in an alley somewhere. And a Presbyterian minister walks by and goes, eh, keeps walking. Then a Christian comes by and goes, not my problem, and keeps walking. And then a North Korean comes by and helps out. Now I say it's the closest I got because even now we know that North Korean citizens aren't evil or bad or horrible or anything like that. I know it's not a good example. It's the closest I got. See, the place of the Samaritan is really important the story and what the Samaritan does and how the Samaritan helps out. And most of you have heard this story many times before. Probably looked into and heard messages similar on that we should help out. And that's, that's very true and that's very valid. But there's a lot more to this story than just from the point of view of the Samaritan. The certain man on the side of the road that doesn't even have a name What's the story like from his point of view? Maybe he was traveling to see family he hadn't seen in years, and he saved up and bought all these small gifts and trinkets for his nephews and nieces and brothers and sisters. His mom was still down there, so he was going to visit her, and he was so excited for this trip. And walking along the road, he realized he was the only one he could see—you know, in front or behind. And he thought he heard something behind these rocks. Oh, it's probably just an animal. I'll keep going. And then people jump out, these highway robbers, and attack. And they say, give us everything you have. And he goes, no, these, these are for my family. I haven't seen them in years. I'm, I'm keeping these. Here, take whatever else I have. And they go, no, we want it all. So they start punching him and knock him down. So he gives up everything else he has, but that's, that's not enough. And they keep kicking until he blacks out. What's the story like from his point of view? Because after he blacks up, he wakes up and he's in a bed. He doesn't know where he is, but there, there are bandages. And he smells oil and maybe wine. As he starts to yell out, where am I? The innkeeper comes in. You don't know? This, this man brought you here and, and he stayed with you all last night and took care of you and he bandaged the wounds himself and everything is paid for. Don't worry. He'll he'll be back tomorrow to see how you're doing. Wow. Wow. What is the story like from his point of view? Maybe he didn't care that the person who helped him was a Samaritan. A few days earlier, maybe he didn't like people from Samaria. Maybe he did. We don't know. We don't know if he was a Levite We don't know. But I don't think he cared who helped him. Did the people on Asiana Asiana Flight 214 care specifically who helped them? I don't think so. I think they just needed help. They didn't stop the firefighters to ask what station they came from. Or ask the medics at the triage station where they they went to school. How long they've been practicing or helping. They didn't ask who their friends were or where they were from. All that mattered in that moment was the action. All that mattered was the help. Similarly, those trapped in the building and surrounding area of the San Francisco Gift Center and Jewelry Mart in South Market on Friday didn't care who it was that helped them. As they heard gunshots and cries for help, they just wanted someone to come. They didn't care what station the police were from. They didn't care if it was the police or the SWAT team that came. They just needed help. When the Red Cross game came to help offer food and water for those waiting to be interviewed and questioned by the police, they didn't care where the people were from, just that they weren't alone anymore trapped. It didn't matter who the people were or where they were from or what they looked like or what they followed, just that they were there and the actions they took from that point. Because sometimes it doesn't matter who helps. It really doesn't matter who it is. Just that somebody does. Just that somebody is there. Now you know there are three people in this story. There's the innkeeper. What about the point of view of the story from the innkeeper? The innkeeper was there with some, some usual patrons and some travelers. And suddenly this man comes in, carrying someone. You don't even know if that person is carrying is alive. But there are bandages, so probably. The first thought is, Ugh, what, what, what am I about to walk into here? What just came into my establishment? But then you learn that it's a complete stranger that's taking care of another complete stranger. Wow. What kind of generosity and mercy and compassion is there? But in the back of your head, you're probably thinking, great, what am I going to do with this guy now? Because the guy that brought him has just got to drop him off and leave. But that's not what happens. The Samaritan actually pays for the care. And then will come back and pay whatever more. I don't think you see this every day. Probably never seen it before. Wow. Wow. I don't know what the innkeeper's view of Samaritans was before this. There was probably some view there. But I think it was definitely improved. See, in this story, the innkeeper is the witness. The innkeeper is the media, the TV cameras. The innkeeper is the other neighbors. Seeing what happens, seeing what actions are taken, and then reporting it around. I'm going to say a word here that might scare some of you. I'll give you a moment to brace yourselves if need be. Evangelism. Evangelism. We doing okay? (laughs) Because when we say evangelism, what comes to your mind? I hope it's not people holding up signs and protesting, but for a lot of people, that's what it is. Maybe knocking door to door, hoping you don't get run out. To me, I don't know if that's what evangelism is. Not to me, at least. Because there's a lot of evangelism in this story. Have you ever seen the cereal boxes where on the back of the cereal box, it'll say, like, find the ten hidden you know, pictures or words or whatever on the back of it? This is kind of what I think of in this story. There's the obvious one or two you might find. But can you find all the evangelism in the Good Samaritan? Can you find all the evangelism? Well, the obvious one is the Good Samaritan was evangelizing in a way, right? Because the man that was helped, he's never got to view Samaritans or Samarians the same way again. No way. They saved my life. If it wasn't for him after everyone else passed by, I wouldn't be here today. I owe everything to that person. Everything. So that's kind of an obvious one. Being in the right place at the right time, but having the courage, having the compassion and the mercy to actually act on it. Because the priest and the Levite were in the right place at the right time, but that wasn't enough. Where else is their evangelism? I think the innkeeper. Because the innkeeper witnessed this. And if there's one thing I've learned from Lord of the Rings and other similar novels, is innkeepers have all the information. They're who you go to. If I find myself transported back in time and I didn't know how to get somewhere, I'm going to an innkeeper. That'd be pretty cool, but that's besides the point. So the innkeeper sees this. And you know this story's got to get around. The story of not only the Good Samaritan stopping and helping, but also the priest and the Levite walking by. Because the innkeeper is also a neighbor here. Maybe the neighbor with the binoculars that sees everything that goes on the street, I don't know. But also a neighbor. But the good that the innkeeper saw, that was evangelism. Now, the man on the side of the road, I already kind of talked about it earlier, but that's also an act of evangelism. Because after he recovers and he goes back home or goes and visits his family or whatever, who has he got to tell about this story? Everybody. Everybody. There's no one he's not going to want to tell. And were his views changed because of this experience? As I said earlier, you bet. You bet. So in this parable, we have someone who was beaten and attacked. We have someone who gave everything just to help others, to help someone else in need. And then we have someone, the innkeeper, who wanted everybody to know what happened. And was got to share that information. So someone who was attacked, someone who gave everything for others, and someone who wanted to share what happened. Does that sound like anybody to you? Maybe somebody we've talked about once or twice before. It reminds me of Jesus. Because he gave everything to help those around him. And he came back and kept giving after he suffered for it. And then he sent the disciples far and wide. Throughout our lives, we'll find ourselves as each of these three, three situations or as these three people. We'll find ourselves in a situation to help. We'll find ourselves really down in our luck as the unlucky traveler. And we just hope that one of our neighbors will stop and help us. Or we might find ourselves as the innkeeper who saw something marvelous happen or who heard something wonderful. And we just have the opportunity to share. But we do know that our Lord and Savior has been on this earth right down here with us and suffered all of these things, has suffered, has done the good work, and has shared. It's kind of amazing that we're not totally alone in this, are we? So who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? I propose that it's every person we're able to interact with. If there's a possibility you can interact with them, they are your neighbor. I think this includes phones, Skype calls, email, because it's near instantaneous for a lot of that now. And that's, that's one way, it's the first way that comes to mind. But I think it's also websites and blogs, or if you're a writer or a musician, everyone that can read what you've written, everyone that can listen to what you performed. I think they're all neighbors. It's obviously anyone you see, but it's also anyone that could see you or anyone that could hear you or hear about what you've done. I think they're your neighbor. It's basically anyone we interact with. It could be through nature or our environment. If we save something for generations to come, that's our way of interacting with them. They're our neighbors. If we destroy something, well, that, They're still our neighbors. We're interacting with them through that medium. That's right. I'm proposing that some of our neighbors haven't even been born yet. That's a different thought, isn't it? Some of our neighbors haven't even been born yet. But if we accept that our neighbors is basically, let's be honest, it's kind of everyone, how should we act? Well, with mercy. That's the first thing we saw with love, with honesty, openness, and perhaps most importantly, a willingness to view the story from their point of view. Because there's an old saying, there's two sides to every story, right? I'm calling that a lie. There's a billion sides to every story. Many, many sides to every story. But we get help through this. Because God, and Jesus Christ, has done all of these things. And God continues to do all of these things for us. And continues to do so much more. We just have to give back gratefully to those around us. Amen.